0: It happened to be that I was at Camp Pendleton in the Marine Corps when Saigon fell in 1975. And when the first refugees started coming into Camp Pendleton, there was a huge tent city. And for this young Marine from a farm in central Wisconsin, it was just twilight zone-ish. It was a different world. And I can remember standing there thinking that these people came here literally with nothing.
1: Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members Transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and, and resolve these enormous life challenges.
2: Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment.
3: Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma Free Vet Zone. We are here in downtown West Bend and we're going to take off to several cities in Wisconsin today to catch up with our guests who join us to present and describe their documentary on the Afghan refugee settlement development here in Wisconsin. And their documentary, simply yet really powerfully titled Home, is timely for so many and in so many ways. Our guest today in Milwaukee, history professor Dr. Chia Vang, professor of history at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She has been teaching and researching about the impact of the Vietnam War on those involved, especially refugees. She is the author of numerous books on Hmong who were displaced and came to the U.S. Her two most recent books are Fly Until You Die, An Oral History of Hmong Pilots in the Vietnam War, and Prisoners of War, a Hmong Fighter, Fighter pilot's story of escaping death and confronting life after. And she's going to share some of the aspects of her personal experience with the Hmong refugees coming to the United States, a large number of who are in Wisconsin and and Minnesota, and how that might translate to our experiences today. Uh, Chris Swift uh, served as a combat medic with three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Chris is a certified peer specialist for the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Support Program with the Medical College of Wisconsin in Wauwatosa, and he's also very active in veteran health care issues. Teresa Hebert is the curator of the High Ground Museum and coordinator of educational events and veteran retreats at the High Ground in Nealsville, Wisconsin. She will also be sharing some of the community reactions to the Afghan settlement program that is here Chris Pettis is a retired Marine uh, who served uh, for 23 years, retiring in 2014. Chris is a combat veteran with two tours in Iraq and one in Somalia. He is currently the executive director of the high ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nealville, Wisconsin. John Kelly is going to be in charge of all of the technical development for the documentary, and he's going to explain that process to us. And that leaves us with Scott um, Schultz, who – this is really Scott Schultz's project. He's a former Marine, and he's going to explain this project that he has titled Home. And I think that's a very, very profound word for this. It's not just home is here, but how is the home they're missing, where's the home they came from, and how are we going to welcome them back into uh, – or welcome them into our society here. So let's get right to it, and we're going to start off by going to Teresa and uh, Teresa, if, if you are the one who came up with this great idea and shared it with uh, Scott, and uh, tell us how that happened.
4: Um, well, I was like everybody else in the country. Probably, I was watching and listening to what was unfolding with the mm-hmm. Afghanistan mm-hmm. withdrawal, and from a civilian point of view, uh, there's so much I didn't understand, and I wanted to know. But for the most part, I just felt I put myself in the, their shoes of the people. Um, that were trying their best to get out of the situations um, that they were in. Uh, watching the videos was pretty mm-hmm. horrifying. Um, and I just felt this gut feeling that this needed to be documented and this needed to be not forgotten with the next news um, thing that came along. And I just felt the need to reach out. And the first one I thought of was Scott, of course. Uh, because even though I had the heart of doing the project, I don't have the background that Scott does. And he's got the heart, the background, and the skills. But my main feeling was that um, these stories were of individuals and not just a faceless group. Individuals that are going through family uh, grief, scared for their families. And I wanted to know more about this, and I wanted to get to be able to discuss and educate other people about what happened and what what led up to this what were their lives like the past 20 years and now all of a sudden almost um possibly without warning uh, of a much warning their lives are turned upside down and i wanted to just do what i could to do something to bring this out and to capture this moment and to preserve the stories and at the same time. Uh, hopefully follow through with the families and individuals to see what happens in the years to come so that uh, possibly generations can look back on a documentary to see what their family went through and you know just to capture that history for the facts as well as the emotions and the personal stories but that's where I just I picked up the phone and I called Scott and he had uh, um, at the same time been at that same place with the situation. Uh, so I just so you, you it sent it crazy. over to <laughs>
3: you, you you phoned Scott, <clears throat> Scott, and Scott, you picked it up and you had already been thinking about doing a documentary. And with your background, you have a background in radio and uh, how did that develop then? once you had uh, this secondary opinion from Teresa, Tell us how this developed and, and what is exactly is the HOMES Project. So Teresa sent the, the project to you, Scott, and you took it over. You had already been thinking about this, and you have titled this The HOMES Project. Can you tell us about this project and how you how you envision this uh, progressing?
0: Well, we founded the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts about 20 years ago uh, with the intent of getting people to tell their stories and to tie it to the land and to the soil, which is their home. So that's always been a big part of our projects at the Heartbeat Center. And we've worked closely on different projects with uh, the high ground over the years. And when Teresa called me, it was uh, unbelievable. We use the word Kismet around here a lot. That means uh, things are meant to be. And when she called, I said, we've been talking about this And it just fits right in. It happened to be that I was at Camp Pendleton in the Marine Corps when Saigon fell in 1975. And when the first refugees started coming into Camp Pendleton, there was a huge tent city. And for this young Marine from a farm in central Wisconsin, it was just twilight zone-ish. It was a different world. And I can remember standing there, thinking that these people came here literally with nothing. What are they going to have? And uh, things progressed. And as Dr. Vang will, uh, I'm sure, tell us a little bit more uh, deeply from that point of view, there were issues uh, through the 70s and into the 80s with the migration and the resettlement. Looking back on it, I don't know that we did all that kind, that good of job back then. And we uh, probably should have been a little bit more ready for when it happens again. And one of the reasons that we didn't maybe was because we didn't know everybody's stories from 1975 to 1985. And it's an important thing to have. Uh, Having those stories and that documentation, those are big things. And when it comes to those stories, as Teresa mentioned, these are people who over the past 20 years, during the past 20 years, we as a society here have kind of, uh, I'll say it, we've had to dehumanize that society. That's the way it works in times of war. And these people are just the Afghans. They're not names, they're not people, they're not faces, and they arrived here. Now, when I I talk about those refugees' arrival and, and their stories and the importance of it, as we sat and started talking about the project, we realized that there are hundreds of different angles to take in this, and that's kind of what we're doing here during this podcast to start unpacking boxes there are boxes upon boxes moving boxes piled with stories from veterans from the refugees from the communities that are dealing with things and we're just starting right now to get that box cutter out and open some of those boxes and open those stories up and it's like i said There are a lot of different angles from the communities, uh, the civilians, the veterans who've dealt with things. um, And, of course, in my mind, most important, those refugees that were trying to resettle. And uh, even now, uh, early on in this project, I've bumped into some wonderful community projects in some of the areas where the refugees had been resettled from those 1975 projects they were looking forward Wausau Appleton a lot of the Fox River Valley things are a little bit more smooth there because they were ready for it and they've had community meetings so many stories we want to capture those stories that's the bottom line
3: and so uh... Scott, let's bring in John Kelly, who's going to be capturing the bottom line and capturing these stories. And John Kelly is the owner and projects producer at West Media 411. Uh, John has his degree in journalism with broadcast news and uh, post-production. Uh, he worked on documentaries at K E E T Public Television in Northern California and managed and did production work at TCC-TV in Trumpehlow County, wisconsin which is right over near lacrosse so john why don't you come on in and uh, share with us how you will now technically go about uh developing and recording this podcast
5: absolutely thank you mike and thanks for having me with you guys today uh and you know this is one of those projects that uh when it when it comes knocking on your doorstep you, you have to take advantage of it for a lot of different reasons because it's it reaches so many different people. And as Scott was saying, this is something that I think his generation and my generation, sorry, Scott, to say that we may be from different generations, uh, but have seen things of this nature come through. And maybe there was more that could have been done. You never know exactly what could have and could not have been done. And when we were speaking a little bit before we, we started this, you were asking me about the tactical aspect of it. And you know, it, it got me thinking about like three main elements, you know, and, and those are the audience, the purpose and the benefit of doing something like this. And, you know, the audience that that we're looking to is everything from, you know, a very vast general public, you know, we're talking people in Wisconsin, people on the nationwide scale, all the way down to individuals and their families, because these stories, as you guys have has said uh, so far, are, are gonna have some, have some things in common, but they're all gonna be very different. And it's at this point, at this early stage, it's, it's hard to tell exactly what we're gonna hear. I'm excited in, to find out what we're gonna hear. And I think one of the elements that's gonna have to be thought about at almost every step of the way is, how can we be doing this with the least amount of impact as possible on the stories they're telling, but still be able to get as much information from these individuals as we can, because, as Scott was saying, the, the dehumanization is one thing, but now we have to go back and, and put some, some stories to these faces, to these names, who are these people, and why is it important that we understand not only them, but their generations before them and possibly the generations before that, because it's those, it's all those steps that led to this point. So that we're looking at something that's twenty hundred years old, you know, and, and here we are today, 2021, and we're going to try to tell this story. And how ba- how far back it goes depends possibly on how much time we're allowed with these people and how long we continue to to speak with them over maybe a period of, you know, one conversation to maybe, Ten conversations, ongoing years conversations. I don't really know at this point. Um, like I said, we're very early stages. So I guess being brought in to do something like this—that's that's where I'm looking to go with it on my aspect. Just being able to capture it as as raw as possible, as truthful as possible, and the team that's sitting here uh, with us today, I, I think, is on the exact same page as, as that. And I'm like I, I started with. I'm I'm very happy and honored to be part of it. Well, I'm sure that
3: Scott and everyone else is happy to have you with him, John. And, and welcome to the project. I'd like the idea that you're very sensitive to this idea that these people have hundreds of years behind them because they come here with their traditions, they come here with their habits, they come here with their customs, they come here with their cultures. And we just think these are people that are there. But look at how much they have got going. Somebody told me the other day that some of the children up on, at uh, Fort McCoy were given an art project and they made little cards and they stuck them on the wall. And one of the Af- young Afghanistan boys had uh, just put a card on the wall that said, I miss home. Uh, And he's talking about Afghanistan. You know, we think, wow, they're all here because they want to be here and all that. But they left a lot behind. So there, there's so much that I'm so glad that you guys are sensitive to the cultural aspects. And I think Chia's, uh, Doctor Bang is going to hit more on that. But, but thank you, John. So now let's, uh, Chris, if we can bring you back in, Chris Pettis and. Just uh, give us a little bit of rundown on, on the homeship of the, the, the project, and that would be the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nealsville, Wisconsin, which you are the executive director of.
1: Thank you, Michael. Uh, the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park has been uh, operating for uh, about 37 years. Uh, it, it actually started out as a, a Veterans Memorial Park in the service of those veterans who uh, died and were killed in action uh, during Vietnam in Wisconsin. Uh, and over the years, we've evolved to be a uh, lot larger organization that, that honors uh, not only the veteran, their service, but the families and those that support them uh, from World War I through current and present wars. And our, our mission is to uh, honor, educate, and heal, and, and I believe this project falls uh, deep within our mission. In fact, I remember the day that I was uh, uh, walking up from the plaza and I saw Scott and Teresa at a picnic table. And uh, whenever I see Scott, I, I know nothing uh, good could ever come about him uh, talking with anybody. So I, I kind of eavesdropped and made myself a part of the conversation. And they started talking about this. And uh, I was extremely interested in it because of the more people that I talked to uh, here at the park and throughout some of the outreach and some of their um, uh, struggles or, or issues with uh, one, whether it be the withdrawal or the time they're in service, and um, as many Afghanistan veterans and 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 actually almost all veterans I've talked to, this has affected them one way, shape, or form, or another, when we've been in that country, occupied that country for 20 years, and a lot of them are, are, are wondering um, what do we do now i mean there's so many viewpoints so many emotions that go from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other It depends on what they saw how they were involved or what their beliefs are and uh, i think a lot of these issues are going to continue to plague them if we don't provide them some sort of education the organ- the high ground wants and i think really really needs to be a part of this discussion uh, not only to be there for those that are affected to be able to educate others um, and hopefully they'll provide some answers guidance and even support um, along with being able to capture this and be able to utilize it uh, in the future. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of being able to walk on the rocks that others have stumbled on. And if we can learn from the past transitions of, of refugees coming into the country and what went wrong, what can we do to to make sure that it doesn't go wrong again? Uh, there's a lot of concerns within the community um, not necessarily the community in which I'm in or, or involved in, but in different communities uh, based off of things they've seen on the news or the different beliefs and customs that don't necessarily align with the American culture. You know, whether it be the treatment of the women, uh, the lack of education and the laws of discipline associated with um, uh, some of those beliefs. Uh, how do we educate not only the veterans, but the public to be a part of the solution? and making them, this transition
3: uh, uh, smoother. Um, the more I listen to all of you, I'm, I'm so happy and confident when I hear you talk about and refer to this from education. This is education. How do we take the past experiences, not so we can develop a documentary for the future, but how do we take that so that it applies to how we are working uh, with these people today, to and we have to. I think of these as what's the condition of the human spirit. The human spirit isn't uh, you, you know about any particular nation; it's about all of us in general. So how will we respond to that? And um, John broke it down into several categories, but there, there's another ca- c- categories that I kind of looked at it from at the beginning when Scott uh, uh, approached me, and that was we have the veteran community we have the civilian community, and we have the refugee community. Th- those are three outstanding elements. And I know veterans have uh, some, some different issues with this when it comes to triggers. Uh, th- those are going to be veterans that have uh, struggles with this. Uh, but I'd like to bring in Chris Swift now. And Chris, again, was um, – a combat medic at three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And Chris, we spoke earlier about how veterans may be responding to this. And of course, not all of them are going to be the same. I'm sure we're going to have everything from they don't want them here to the others that, as you, are more welcoming. But share with them what you shared with me this morning. I thought it was very insightful.
6: Well, I think that we will have both ends of the spectrum. We're going to have the people that are going to say, absolutely not. They can't come here. They don't belong here. They can... They've lived there for however long and, you know, they can just continue to move on. But in like my experience, we in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had interpreters and interpreters were promised if they did enough work for us, they would be able to come over to the United States and they could get their citizenship. So some of these interpreters like that was a necessary element for us to be successful at any given point in time because we did not have enough people to be interpreters. So that's why we had to hire them. You know, they had to keep their information secret. They had to make sure that the Taliban didn't know what, that they were helping us out because that would jeopardize their lives or their families' lives. Well, fast forward to the pullout, you know, things didn't go the way that um, they didn't go as smooth as they, they could have gone. And Now we have a lot of people who were promised the opportunity to come here and they did so much for us. Some of them did so much for us. Now it's like, we have to fulfill that promise that we gave them that will, you know, you're going to have the opportunity. You're going to be able to come over to the United States. And now when the, when the pullout happened, information was, was gathered by the Taliban and now they know individuals who did help us they know their families now their families are at risk they're at risk you know they put their life on the line for years and years and years to help us make make it through you know they saved I guarantee they saved hundreds if not thousands of lives of American lives and coalition forces lives by being the interpreters and helping us, telling us which way to go, telling us what they're saying and what, and giving us the information that we need to be successful. So it's our turn to give them the opportunity that we promised them, you know,
3: at, at least a consideration, but you had shared with me also, Chris, that you're still in contact with one of these interpreters.
6: Yeah. one a, a friend of mine um, from Afghanistan, she's actually getting married next year and I'm going to go to the, the, um, wedding in California but her family is trying to come over and they know that she was one of the interpreters so her family is in jeopardy right now so every day is like the unknown for her she did she gave she gave up years of her life to help us out and then they promised to let her and her family come over because they've done they they have their some of them are educated and they could come over here and transition very well, you know. And then we have the programs where people were talking, whether it was John, Scott, Chris, or Teresa, about programs that we can get people educated and get them assimilated to the to being a productive member, you know, because a lot of these people have done more for for us than some of the people that actually live in our country.
3: Wow, that's powerful. One of the things that I remember from Vietnam, and I don't want to go into it too far, they had a program called the Pacification. Uh, that was to pacify the people, make them our friends, uh, and I believe he had something similar in Iraq, Afghanistan, almost anywhere that we send the military. Win the hearts to, and minds. Win the hearts and minds of the people. So you go over there, you win the hearts and the minds of the people. We've seen so many pictures of American forces giving out candy, to food, to the children, the children jumping up on all, all this interaction, friendly, loving interaction that we are praising the American forces for doing. And, uh, and and I don't want to make a political statement; it's not that. But then, how do we just turn and leave and say, "Well, that, that winning the hearts and minds"? minds of, well, that was just for, for while we were there. Uh, so th- there's so many different dynamics to all of this, but I think what we are going to have is this representation of the effects and the triggers that, uh, that do affect our veterans, and that's going to be one of the communities that I hope that the, the past uh, information that we have or experiences going back to post-Vietnam and the Hmong would, uh, would be something that would be available to help. Our veterans better understand and engage and resolve the the reactions that they're having. But uh, the other the other uh, point, Chris, you wanted to say something. I could
6: tell. Yeah, um, one of the things is the veteran community they take care of each other as well as any community in the world. Like there's just something about being a veteran and another veteran needing help. So I think as a veteran community, we're going to have to come together and and help our brothers and sisters and help them with whatever the triggers are, you know, if it's hanging out with them, if it's just talking to them, if it's just doing something to get their mind off it, you know, just to give them a different perspective, you know, like this this documentary is something that could really educate us because I think our media overtakes and they throw out a bunch of stuff and, you know, people are like, oh, that's the Bible right there. That's that's it. Whatever the media puts out it or it was on the internet, you know. It's not always sometimes you got to dig a little deeper and you got to you got to be more more open to hearing other other things that are going on.
3: Uh, Dr. Vang, uh, you have heard Scott give his uh, interpretation or his d- design for this project that he's calling documentary called Home. Uh, before we get to your experiences, do you have uh, any insights on what he is describing for this documentary and uh, positive uh Feedback for him.
7: Sure, um, Mike. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. Um, I, I just want to say that I think that the ideas that have been generated. I I really appreciate the the care and thoughtfulness that the the speakers have already shared about treating the people who have become displaced as as human beings who have been displaced who were for the last two decades you know their lives were turned upside down and um, they are here in our space now and so I think what is really promising and exciting about this project is that you're all talking about uh, lived experiences you're all talking about the perspective of the refugees, for lack of any other word. Um, And then you're also talking about veterans who uh, may have a variety of perspectives. And then you're also talking about including the perspective of the local community, because we're all impacted by, by this in one way or a shape or form. And so I think about 1975, as many of you know this much better than I do, I wasn't here. Uh, But the fact that you're trying to capture, I think, Teresa, you used the word document. And I think the audience, you talked about general general public, but it's an educational tool. I really like that component very much uh, because what we want to do is to make make sure that uh, people's lived experiences are are shared in that they are also fellow human beings. They may have been forced to flee their homes um, and they will always think about the home in which from which they came. Um, but we as a society, as fellow human beings in this great nation, yes, we have our flaws, but this, this great nation, we also are a place of hope for many people. So I think this documentary has the potential to really capture a moment in time that people are going through this now. And in my historical work, I'm always interviewing people about what happened to you in 1975? Tell me how you felt about being in certain, such and such refugee camp. But here we are, we have an opportunity to capture uh, the experiences of those who have just arrived. So I'm really excited. I, I'm interested in uh, continue to be a part of this conversation. However, I can, uh, whatever I can do to support it, I will um, be committed to do so. And I've already told Scott that I'll do as much as I can. Um, but I'm also really, really appreciative of what you all have said about uh you know these are our fellow human beings they're they're just not people out there who we we don't know anything about they live they breathe they're here because they want the same things that we all want safety for their family opportunities and, and really it's just an opportunity to to live in a place where they can thrive so um i i'm excited that that this is um you know a good discussion in that there's so much potential uh, for the use of this documentary.
3: Thank you, Dr. Vang. Uh, Teresa, let's bring you back in and have you share more of the community response that you're familiar with as the non-veteran community uh, that you participate in and that you've experienced and shared with earlier. Uh, how are they taking this or how do you see this in the community with the Afghan uh, refugee settlement uh, very close nearby up in in Fort McCoy and and Camp Douglas.
4: Well, I think like uh, Chris Swift said about the media, um, now everybody's getting their information from mass media, their social media. And I think even though social media helps things um, get spread, information gets spread in real time, I think now it's more important maybe than ever to have these documentaries made because along with that real time social media is the opportunity for people to also get um, a lot of mistruths or half truths, And if the wrong uh, people are able to spread that, if that becomes the majority of the thought, uh, the majority of what people are hearing, and um, they just get sort of swamped or saturated with that, whereas the, the real truth gets um, hidden sometimes. And I think a lot of, uh, if, if you don't have the information, then the fear is able to creep in as well. So I think the education part is going to replace a lot of people's fear with uh, just information um, and compassion, hopefully, um, and to just take the time, take a breath, and look deeper into who the individuals are. I can't speak, obviously, for everybody, but I have heard comments from People that otherwise, in, in my experience, are very caring, knowledgeable people, but they have fear, and I think that uh, that surprises, surprised me, but I think that that's what happens if you just don't have the information. Um, You'll you get, the fear takes takes over, and I think a lot of people, if we have a documentary with who, who the people really are, what they've been through, what their hopes are, that they are more like us than in, in America than they're just like us. Uh, we are all humans. We have the same fears, like, like uh, uh, Dr. Vang said, fears for our family safety, fears for what might be going on that's beyond their control. Um, so I think with the documentary, the educational aspect is so important to be able to bring to our um, civilian communities Speaking for myself, I as a civilian, I don't have the background or information that a veteran that served in those areas would have. And so to, if we're able to educate um, people on what actually has been happening in Afghanistan over the decades, just to get that background and more of an understanding of the cultures that the people have um, that are now going to be re- resettled in Wisconsin. I think um, it's I think
3: it's I very think, oh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go on, Teresa. Oh, no,
4: I know, I just, um, and uh, like um, Dr. Bang had said as well, that um, the, in, in 1975 and forward uh, with the Laomongoli resettling that um, there are so many important lessons that we just need to remember and uh, to repeat things that worked and to learn from things that um, weren't positive. Um, I think this resettlement could be a very positive thing for
3: our community I, I think what's what I hear that's very, very powerful is this whole idea of fear and education replacing the fear. If the education isn't there, the fear is just going to grow and, and, and like a, a virus uh, and it's the educational component that relieves that fear you've said that, and I think that's very, very important that people understand that if the fear is there, it's all right to have the fear, but how do we respond to the fear in a positive way? Uh, and I think the the positive way is exactly what you're doing with this documentary, and that's through education. So it's just a, a really wonderful uh, atmosphere that you're presenting for this documentary. Let, let, let's uh, shift back to Scott quick. Uh, Scott, you, you've been listening to it. This is your project. Uh, how, how are you thinking about this now? Uh, not much time put into it, but are you seeing this develop as the positive project that you were hoping for?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And we have, like I said, so many stories to open up and we have to look for resolutions for everybody in this in one form or another. And that's, that's our hope. And I personally, you know, I'm just one of these folks who I like food. Number one. (laughs) and. And I'm a firm believer that uh, the more cultures we can get involved in our society, we're a melting pot here in the United States. I mean, we literally are the melting pot of the world. That's what we're known as. And I look forward to uh, some of the uh, the Afghan food, uh, just like I love the Laotian food and the Hmong food. Right. And I, Ludafisk, I don't know about, but that's... That's a whole other culture that's all on its own. but we really have to work on this. and uh, one of the things uh, the the word support" has uh, been mentioned, and I'm always a very poor fundraiser, but i I do need to mention that uh, we're going to need some support uh, from the community from uh, from the folks out there listening uh, from businesses and from grants uh, to make this happen. We do have some expenses just something as simple as travel money that we need to cover. So go to our website, if you would, theheartbeat.us. That's theheartbeat.us, and there's uh, donation information on that. Or go to our Facebook pages for the Heartbeat Center for Writing Litters in Arts Incorporated. So.
3: That would and, be a great uh, way not just to give donations, but to, to get involved, to be part of this. Don't I, I think the, the documentary is going to be much more successful if you're inviting the, the general public to get involved with their opinions, with, uh, any kind of activity, rather than ha- having that veil in between you and, and the community. So, yeah, go. Yes. Tell us the, the, two, uh, the website and your Facebook page again. So
0: The website, again, is theheartbeat.us. And the Facebook page is the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts.
3: Right. Uh, John, John Kelly, you have been listening to this. Is this helping you to develop any ideas how you want to proceed with your part of this uh, documentary?
5: I just wrote down two words, Michael, interactive documentary. Uh, Just because the idea of people being able to communicate in so many ways with the technologies that we have now using that perspective in making this this documentary so that there can be uh, a lot of different voices a lot of different backgrounds involved in it you know I mean the traditional documentary you sit down you watch it and you hear somebody's story and there's a narrator that tells you that and like you know we've stated we're in very early stages on this but the idea of incorporating uh, all these processes, everything from this meeting we're having having tonight to uh, message boards that are going to be happening to the support groups that Scott was talking about, including those, because this is, again, as has been stated the whole way through, about education, education to help eliminate, eliminate fear, for one thing, and also to improve quality of life. And, and that quality of life that can be improved is not only going to be for the people who've who lived here for generations, but also for people who are just moving here, because they have a lot of fear, I can imagine, you know, as she was saying, there's a lot of fear that they're going to be having. So the more that they can feel accepted, the better quality of life that they're going to have. So this idea of using all these elements to put this uh, documentary together, I I think is just going to be something that's going to make it stand out and be uh, very powerful.
3: Agreed, one hundred percent. I want to make sure that we have time to give back to Dr. Vang if she would share what we're talking about. Uh, having collected this information from the seventies, but uh, Dr. Vang, her family has been through this. Uh, her, her, she has not just studied this and researched this. She has a vested interest in this, and if maybe she could share a little bit of some of the struggles and how those struggles that we've learned actual struggles we can be aware of in, in the sense of education. When we are uh, approaching these uh, this culture from from Afghanistan,
7: so thank you, Mike. I you know I never claim to you know speak for other people, and I, I can only speak for myself. But I I do appreciate the fact that you brought up that I have studied you know, um, and talked to many, many people across the globe, but then my family, we were, you know, sort of the, we were remnants of the war, right? We were the um, legacies of the war. We, we left because we, we had to leave just like many of these families. So uh, we didn't come right in 1975 and, you know, we came in 1980, but I know that the, the many who came in 1975, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we, we think about when we think about 1975, the evacuation of, you know, the fall of Saigon and the refugees who were airlifted and then, you know, came to Camp Pendleton and, and three other um, bases, one of the things that we learned was that the refugees come, right, and they're all disoriented, trying to figure out, you know, now they feel like they're in a safe place. But in fact, the whole world has been turned upside down. One thing we've mentioned already. And so what we did as a, as a country at that time was we dispersed these refugees across the country. Right. Dispersal policy became the practice. So we wherever we could find sponsor and I say we meaning the United States, whenever there are sponsors, people were sent there. And so they um, they became isolated from others, from their community. And I one of the things that I have been talking about with the the new newcomers or the new displaced individuals who have arrived in our state is that, you know, we want to make sure that we are able to keep them intact right as much as possible we learned that lesson from vietnam War refugees so how about if we we do something a little bit differently keep people together so they have social support cultural support language support and and one of the things about this documentary i know is that it's about giving voice to people and allowing them to be able to share their stories in their voices uh in their language i think it's going to be really important right. in the 1975 we didn't always have that available, but if I look at the experiences of Hmong, which you you know, you know, you asked me about, we know Wisconsin has the third largest Hmong uh, population in the country. And all of the things I think um Chris you mentioned about veterans and you know local community and the the diverse perspectives that we all have on all situations there's going to be people who say you know we welcome we we support, and you know here you're here, we want to support you, but then we will always have others who may have different perspectives about the fact that these people don't belong here. These are all the same things that were said about Hmong and Vietnamese and Lao refugees that came It's not new. But at the same time, if we look at 46 years ago and what, what some of these communities, again, I don't speak for all communities, but I, I think I can safely say for the Hmong community here in Wisconsin, um, again, people may have different perspectives, but if we think about where we were in 1975, right? And 46 years ago, the distressed refugees who arrived with not much more than the clothes on their back, right? those who didn't speak any English. And then some were, will work with the U.S. government and that's why we are here in this country, just like the Afghan you know, refugees. I think what's really important for me to encourage everybody to think about is that um, 46 years, we've learned a lot. I hope that Wisconsinites have seen that you know, our community, when I say our, the, the Hmong community here in Wisconsin, we have issues just like all communities But I think we have also really contributed to this community in ways that no one imagined we could. Let's just take Wasso for example. Right. We that's an example we talked about earlier. Um, before the Hmong arrived, uh, Wasa was very, very in terms of racial composition, was was not very diverse at all. And now the Hmong community represents more than 10% of the Wassa population. And we have larger families. There were schools that, you know, some people have jobs because now we have these larger families who have come to do the school district. And so to me, they've they've created businesses. Now we have Hmong serving in the school school board, the county supervisors, we're contributing to what this country has been all about, right, the opportunities, you you help people a little bit, and then they can help themselves. And I think that's what our community has, has done. And I am so hopeful for the the, the Afghan refugees who have just arrived, that if we as a society, if we as a Wisconsin community, if we reach out, like we're trying to do here, to say, you are welcome, Okay, you may have left everything you know, and you're familiar with behind, but you are here now. And we can't give you everything. But what we promise to give you is care, so that soon you will be able to contribute. And that's what I think that we have to do as a community is to make sure that uh, we allow them to do that. Because I remember my parents didn't speak any English, right? My mother didn't know how to write her name until she came to the U.S. I mean, I actually grew up next door in Minnesota, but the experiences are very similar for Hmong refugees. She learned how to read and write. Um, She learned the letters of the alphabet in an ESL class. And then she learned how to, you know, uh, write in in Hmong language because we use the Roman alphabet. So to me, it's like um, now all her children, all of us went to college and, um, you know, we're, we're paying lots of taxes and really contributing. And and I think, Scott, you're right. We I feel like we have enriched our, our Wisconsin community, those who have opened their hearts and homes. I, I think there's so much good in in. Americans in, in Wisconsin night so I'm very hopeful I, I think that we have so much to to contribute and you know the I want to say 46 years from now I, I like us to you know you know think about 46 from years from now the Hmong refugees came and many people said oh they won't survive in this country There were individuals who said they don't belong here there were individuals who said that the, the Hmong will be extinct soon right because they can't survive in this society. But I think we've proven that uh, wrong, and we have survived. We have thrived, and I I think the the Afghan refugees would do the same, but they need our support and our care, and they they most of all need us to treat them as as you know a fellow human beings who um who deserve a chance to to live a life that uh we the United States the twenty years we spent there was supposed to be really for that right, and now they're in our space. So I hope that we will, with this documentary, it's not the end. Right. It's not the only thing we need a lot more, but it's the education, it's the awareness. Um, I think that's very, very important. And I'm really hopeful that we can do that as a as a group and to really honor. I want to bring that word into our conversation is, you know, Mike, you use the human spirit, and I just want to use the word honor too, to honor who they are as individuals, their cultures and traditions. Because this country is not just about, you know, people coming here and changing, shedding everything to be like us, but it's also about people bringing the strengths of their community, their families, their cultures to enrich you know, our, our lives here in the United States. So that's all, I'll end there so that other people can talk too, because I can't say a lot more because I really care <laughs> about this topic, but um, I, I hope that that helps you to kind of put some perspective about this really personal lived experience of our Hmong our community, but then also it's not just the Hmong community. You know, many others have come and have done so much, you know, wonderful things. And we even have, you know, a Olympic gold medalist, right? Because of the opportunities that she has been given in this country. Wow.
0: One Absolutely. thing that, of, 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 if I could interject quickly, one thing that we forget to mention in all of the opportunities that we uh, open, for new people in this country, voice has to be the number one. Everyone needs a voice. And we're trying through this project to offer voices all over the place by uh, opening up these story boxes. Uh,
3: additionally, one thing I would like to add, Scott and Dr. Vang, we've talked about us being afraid, our fears. We're the Americans. I go home, I've got a nice home, I've got a fireplace, I've got food on the table and everything else. And we talk about the fear of uh, the Afghanistan people being here. Imagine the fear that these people must have. Imagine the fear. They're in a place. They don't know where food's coming from. They are completely at the mercy of other people. They don't know if Americans are going to accept them. I can't imagine the fear level that the, and anxiety level that these people uh, must be dealing with. And I think that it would be good of us to... Have some compassion and understanding that uh, that this is probably it 's pretty much like when I came home from Vietnam, I was angry it was about me it 's about me i 'm angry. What about uh, thinking about my family and thinking about other people at the same time? So if we had compassion for these people have to be unnerved, I think that would be a wise part of the uh, diplomacy in your in your uh, documentary so uh, we 're running uh, close to our time, but I would like to first. Uh, hopefully, suggest that all of us come back in maybe a month and see where this uh, project has gotten, see how it's developed, see what we can further do, maybe more more fundraising, more opportunity to help develop it. But uh, if we could just quickly just go down the line, and maybe have one one word of enthusiasm for you, Scott, in in your project, and hope uh, for not just for ourselves, but I like how you said hope for the Afghanistan. Uh, refugee settlement project, but uh, Chris Pettis, uh, give us a word of hope. And, and again, thank you for uh, providing the uh, the high ground as an educational ground. I just love that word education. It's just so wonderful.
1: Well, I, I'm i not going to speak for anybody else in the room here, but I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Even just from this meeting alone, uh, I've become more educated and, and more things have, have popped in, in my mind, things that I didn't consider of this, how this can be a, a holistic, um, a holistic endeavor for everybody, and uh, um, uh, thanks for inviting me and being a part of this. And uh, Scott, you know I live just down the road, and we can always bounce things back and forth real easy.
3: Absolutely, Teresa, give us a uh, word of, I, a word of I, hope. Uh,
4: I love I love the the word voice, like Scott said. I think that is that is key um, to not only with the education but to give the refugees, their individual voice in this documentary as well. I love how John has interactive documentaries down now. Uh, so it's just it's very exciting and very hopeful. And thank you, Michael, for having
3: us. Oh, my God. I'm just providing a space. What you guys are doing is wonderful. Uh, John, give us a quick, uh, a good few words of hope.
5: Sure, absolutely. Uh, what we're doing right now is a, a step of many, you know, and being able to see these things develop shows that there's at least this many people who have interest in spreading this information to, to help educate across many different levels. And I can, I can only imagine from being able to be on your podcast that this is going to resonate, our voices are going to resonate to other people, and it's going to spark more conversations and that's going to spark more steps and going back to the idea of the interaction documentary that we just threw down tonight. Like there's a lot of hope in, in what's to come.
3: Chris Swifty Swift,
6: give us a little hope there. Um, uh, I think, uh, like purpose is one of the things Oh, we lost you there. Oh, as a, as a veteran coming back, getting out of the service, you know, I kind of lost purpose and everything. And I think this, uh, documentary gives purpose to educating and giving a perspective, helping the assimilation. And it, there's so many different parts of it, so many different moving parts. And I think purpose is, can be used on so many different levels with this that I think it's going to be able to, like, I think the most important thing is to educate, you know, that way people are getting what's really going on from a documentary instead of from the news or social media, something like that. But I think this is bringing a huge purpose. You know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to be part of this tonight. I hope I can be part of this going forward.
3: You, you bring up an excellent point because a lot of times when I hear about veterans coming home and they're in their transition, we're always talking about find a new mission. What well, does it have to be to find a new mission? What if you just find a new purpose? a new service to provide rather it doesn't have to be this complicated mission, but just a service or a purpose to provide. I I think you're hitting on something very, very uh, healthy for, for veterans to consider. So Chia, you have been a delight. Uh, One of the things that we had talked about in preparing for the podcast, you're talking about giving voice, but you had also mentioned something that I thought was very important and that's these people have names. Reflect on that for a minute, just the importance. My name's Michael Orban, and I know that. When I'm just given a number, when I'm just given a, a position, a place, how important is that to remember that these people have names?
7: Yeah, that's very important to me because I think throughout most refugee resettlement across the globe, um, I know we see images of people all over the internet now and in the past, um, all kinds of photos and magazines, but too often they're not, they're never named. They're like anonymous people who are just distressed in all these different, you know, situations. So I think this, this, this project um, will, will do some things very differently by honoring, by you know naming people because they are someone's father, someone's daughter, someone's you know uh, sister, and they all have names to share and to their identities are tied to to those. So I'm really excited about that. I think it's important to to make sure we don't make those kinds of mistakes that we've done in the past. Uh, it's almost as if these are just you know using distressed paper you know photos to to uh, show people all over the globe, but yet we don't know these individuals. So I'm really looking forward to that honoring that piece. But one thing I want to say from what I'm hearing from all of you is that the, the openness to learn. So it's not just to, to educate, but what you've all kind of helped me understand is that your desire, you have this really intense desire to learn so that you can then share with others. I think that's a really, really important purpose right there, Chris.
3: Wow. Very, very good. Uh Um, I I really would like to ask uh, if any of you uh, have uh, a resource that you'd like to share. Chia, do you have a a site that people can go to and look at your work, look at your book that you'd like to share? Or can we set up, uh, Scott, a page or John where we can – what happens after a podcast like this, we always go back. Many of us will say, oh, I wish I had mentioned this. Is there a place that we can continue to communicate our ideas after? Uh, after this podcast after tonight to share ideas to help you develop these different uh, uh, aspects and dynamics of your, your project. Maybe you could share that with us uh, by, by way of an email after Scott, but if you would share one more time, Scott, your, your, your foundation, the, the, um, the backbone, the educational part of your project and that website and that Facebook page for people to go to and for all of us to go to and stay connected.
0: That's right. It's, called the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts, and the website, again, is theheartbeat.us, and we have a Facebook page, the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts, Incorporated, and uh, we're going to have, we've talked about it today, just today, (laughs) Michael, and you and I did, or mentioned it, that uh, we need to set up a separate page for this, an offshoot page, because this conversation has to continue. It yeah. definitely does.
3: And invite the public to be part of that conversation. Absolutely. So Dr. Chia Bang, Chris Swift, John Kelly, Scott Schwartz, Chris Pettis, and Teresa Hebert. This is Mike Orban. Thank you all so much for joining us. And thank you to the audience for joining us today and your comments help us to improve the quality of our podcast. And for more resources, Or to leave a comment, visit our website at orbanfoundation.org. And one of the things that I would like to remember, our podcast is primarily about veteran health care, mental health care, depression and suicide. Uh, For those of us who have experienced the unexpected and punishing uh, reactions to military life, we know that a long period of uh, punishing depression can arrive years before thoughts of suicide. So if you are struggling, especially with any kind of response with the The topic that we're speaking with tonight on the Afghan refugee resettlement program, if you're having any difficulty with that, there are live voices that you can talk to, live people who care and can provide you with effective resources, and that would be at the Veterans Crisis Line. And that number is 1-800-273-8255, and then press the number 1. So for my co-host, Marine veteran Bob Bach, I am Mike Orban, and we are veterans, and we thank you for joining this episode of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing.
2: Thank you for listening to the Stigma-free Vet Zone Podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, Orbanfoundationforveterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.